What's going on? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 42 of the show for Monday, November 23rd, 2020. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Got about a million ways to find the show. Uh, audio only, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, your Android device, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, where you can also find the flagship show, the in the Money Players podcast. You can find Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker. You can find JK Plus One with Jonathan Kinchin. You can find Nick Lux Daily Podcast. You can find The Red Board Rewind with Spencer Lugambuehl. You can find a million things. You can also find great written content over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you're someone who watches and listens on YouTube, all you need to do in the search bar, Matt Burney, your show, you will get this episode as well as the 41 prior. Make sure with all the platforms, you subscribe, make sure you rate and you review. Goes a long way, helps us get different things out there, talk to different partners, expand the content. We're looking forward to 21, hopefully continuing on, making sure that things are cooking along in a good fashion. So please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon is lit up. That way you get a notification anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money channel. Now, this week's show, I'm licking my wounds from a disastrous week last week of picks over on RacingPicks.com. Um, I, a bit of a, let's call it a Breeders' Cup hangover. And I, I was, you know, I was really beating myself up last night about it. And I said, you know what the, the good thing is, though? The racing this week for the holiday week is outstanding. Top to bottom. And naturally, we have a Friday feature this week. It happens to be, I think, the best race of the weekend. Now, having said that, the Hollywood Derby might have something to say. But for the Friday feature this week, race number 10 at Churchill Downs, Jeff O'Reilly is going to help us take a look at the Grade 1 Clark Handicap, an overflow field for a Grade 1 in November on dirt at a mile and an eighth. Code of Honor is in there. By My Standards is in there. It's a great race. Jeff O'Reilly is going to help us out with the Friday feature. If you want to be in Jeff's position next week, need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. You have plenty of time to take a look at it. The PPs are out. You can really do the deep dive and get ready to go. I have not done the deep dive on the Clark just yet. I will be writing about it on racingpicks.com when that article goes up on Friday. But I was trying to think also, what can we do for the rest of this episode? And you know what? For those of you who were around back when I was working for the racing form, and I would do an early show and a late show, a recap show at the beginning of the week and a preview show at the end of the week. Uh, this is going to harken back to those days. This is going to be a bit of a preview show. I'm not going to talk about the Clark because, again, Jeff O'Reilly is going to take care of that for us in depth. I am going to talk about four other graded stakes races on Thursday and Friday. Now, right in order, we'll go over the Grade 2 Fall City Handicap down at Churchill Downs. That is on Thanksgiving Day. Also on Thanksgiving Day, race number six at Del Mar, the grade three red carpet handicap. And then we move over to Black Friday out at Del Mar. We'll talk about the grade two Hollywood Turf Cup and at Aqueduct, we'll talk about the grade three Cumley. So plenty of graded stakes action here. If you're curious about opinions and thoughts on Saturday, specifically Del Mar, because that's Del Mar's big day. You're going to have the Hollywood Derby. You're going to have a few other graded stakes races as well. Over on RacingPicks.com, I'm going to be blogging the entire day at Del Mar. Not physically at Del Mar, but from start to finish, 
Saturday's content is going to be the Del Mar Thoroughbred Club highlighted by the Grade 1 Hollywood Derby. But throughout the entirety of the day, if you want opinions about the day at Del Mar, make sure you head on over to RacingPicks.com. Again, my Clark Handicap ideas and selections will be over on RacingPicks.com. But for today's episode here, we're going to look at those four graded stakes races. But first, we're going to take a look at this week's Friday feature. In my opinion, the best race of the week. The Grade 1 Clark Handicap. Jeff O'Reilly is here to help us out. If you want to be in Jeff's position next week, leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. You only get one. Make a pick. Preferably give a little bit of a rationale behind it. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But leave a pick. If you win, I'll contact you and we'll get things set up for next Monday. Until then, let's first hear what Jeff has to say about this week's Friday feature. It is the Grade 1 Clark Handicap. All right, hopefully you didn't overdose on turkey or anything crazy on Thanksgiving and you still you still got the juices flowing. You're ready for Black Friday, not just because you're going to go out there and buy a bunch of stuff, but because we've got big racing and arguably the race of the week. I understand you've got a great day of racing out at Del Mar on Saturday afternoon. You've got graded stakes all across the country this week. But on Friday afternoon at Churchill Downs, you've got the grade one Clark. And to help us with the Friday feature this week, we have Jeff O'Reilly. Jeff was the winner of last week's Friday feature, correctly identified Fly to Mars as the winner of that salty race out at Del Mar. Uh, first things first, Jeff, thanks for helping out, and how are you? I'm good, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate you coming on here, and uh, I, if I remember correctly, you had a pretty good run with the Breeders' Cup future. Am I mistaken? Uh, I did okay on the Breeders' Cup, yeah. Um, I, I, I did the video with you. Uh, my long shot was Tacitus. He, he, he ran okay. He ran... You know, he outran his odds. I was looking for him to get another try, but he still ran pretty well. He's that kind of horse that it feels like if you have any kind of piece of him, if you own him, he's just going to keep cash and checks. There's no two ways around it. And I suppose if you catch the perfect field, like he did in the Suburban, maybe he's the kind of horse that, you know, in a, I got to be honest, in a race like this, he wouldn't look terrible. I kind of feel like he's that horse, though, that needs as much distance as possible. But you know you're going to get basically what he has to offer, a 101, a 102 kind of buyer. He's an honest sort, so good on you for running him fourth there in the Breeders' Cup Classic at a big number. Um, let's get a little bit of background on you before we dive into this race. Where are you from? How did you get involved in racing? Those sort of things. Sure. Um, I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, I'm pretty much... You know, dead between Delaware Park and Philadelphia, and well, parks now it used to be Philadelphia Park. Uh, so just growing up, you know, my dad used to take me and my brother. Uh, he used to take us down the track a couple times a year, and you know, from there, it just kind of just kept building. You know, my love for the game, the passion for it. Um, I don't, I don't really think there's much better, much better than just you know looking at the form and just putting the puzzle together that is you know each individual horse race. Um, I think it's just you know very very fun to just when you. You know, handicap a race, and it just kind of comes to fruition of of how you how you thought it, thought it through in your mind. I think that there's just not much of a more rewarding feeling when it, you know you cross the it crosses the finish line, and you're just waiting to see you know what kind of payout it is. You know that feeling for me is just you know second to none as far as you know gambling and just horse racing in general. So you know just from an early age, you know I just grew up you know just really loving horse racing, and then it just kind of just kept growing inside of me as I got older, and it just I just love love horse racing and you know like i said the puzzle that it is handicapping yeah and i agree with you there especially obviously it's nice when it works out the way that you thought it would and you win but I, there's also pieces for me sort of i think it just kind of builds your your overall handicapping acumen to be able to go through and say you know what even though the horse that i necessarily selected 
didn't win the race. It all kind of played out the way that I thought. Maybe the pace was on the hotter side. Maybe somebody was going to get a really rough trip, or it seemed like it was likely they would end up with some sort of a less than ideal trip. Um, piggybacking on those two racetracks, I haven't been fortunate enough to go to Delaware Park. I've heard it's gorgeous that the paddock area is really as good as anyone's, and that includes Saratoga's. Um, I did get to go to parks last year for the Pennsylvania Derby, and I was pleasantly surprised. And I don't say that in a, in a negative way. I just, you know, I, I think right or wrong, the thing that had always sort of tipped me off with, with parks was that they always had the standard deaf feed when everybody else had upgraded <laughs> to HD. Yep. And I was like, well, maybe they're just really trying to hide the fact that it doesn't look so pretty. It's a, it's a really fun little racetrack. It's 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 a lot nicer than it gets credit for, you know. Uh, it has doesn't have the greatest reputation. When you get there, it's actually a very nice facility. I agree. I mean, not even just the racetrack itself, but I, I did enjoy, the, especially the little paddock area. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of Pimlico for any of you that have been there for the Preakness, where it's an indoor saddling area. Parks has a similar sort of setup, but they've got a nice little outdoor area. Um, and then not just the track itself, but then you go on and you have the casino part over on the side. There are multiple hotels right there and you're on a pretty much, I'd call it basically like a main drag where you've got a number of little restaurants and things like that. So um, really nice little area in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was really nice. And I look forward to getting back there at some point when hopefully things go back to normal. Um, as far as, you know, it's an interesting piece. Uh, I mentioned it at the top of the show and obviously we can talk about it right now. I had a miserable week last week, and I feel like this is sort of a, it, it, it's a normal thing for me, a lull after the Breeders' Cup where you get so jacked up, you you put so much time into those 14 races, and then there's just inevitably a little bit of a hangover, and you, you need something to kind of get the juices flowing again. And for me, this Thanksgiving week is always the thing that it says, okay, you know what, whatever happened last week or the week before, whatever the case may be, it's in the past, and we've got some good racing to look at here. Do you happen to go through any kind of a similar situation, or, or am I just kind of a, a horse of a different color? No, I think, I think you know, we all put in a ton of work for the Breeders' Cup, you know. I mean, it's basically like our, it's the horse racing's, you know, kind of like Super Bowl. So, you know, we kind of just put a lot of effort in that. And, I'm, I mean, this the thing about this game that's so great, you know, you can be great one week, and then the next week, it'll humble, it'll yeah. humble you pretty quickly. So, I mean... I, I don't. I, th I think we're all in the same boat. You know, you put all that effort in the Breeders' Cup, and then the next week, you're you know, you're looking at like a five thousand dollar claiming race. And, and I mean, it just it, it, it definitely is definitely a little, a little bit of a lull. But I mean, it is nice to get th this weekend has some great racing, especially you know the, the feature that we're going to talk about in a little bit. You know, I mean, this this clock race is a it's pretty it's pretty good it's a pretty good competitive race. This is one of the races year in and year out that, you know, again, when I first got into it a number of years ago, it was always kind of a neat thing day after Thanksgiving. You know, you many people have the day off or they work a half day or whatever the case may be. Many people are locked into the racing on Friday and Saturday. And this was always a fun race for me because you got to see some of those horses come out of the Breeders' Cup and try this spot. Or you had some horses who maybe were a little bit less seasoned or maybe they had a little bit of a hiccup en route to what was supposed to be the target in the Breeders' Cup. And they've been rerouted here. And, and more often than not, you end up with a pretty good race. I think, the, the to me, the best race in recent memory, I understand Gunrunner put on a show when he ran in it, but I, I just go back to that game on dude, we'll take charge battle and we'll take charge ended up winning it. It's just, for whatever reason, the Clark to me is... The Clark is as much Churchill Downs as the Kentucky Derby is to me. I, I, I don't, I know that's probably, you know, I'm in the minority there, but I just, I think of the Clark and I think of Churchill Downs and I think of great racing and you alluded to it and let's dive into it. It's race number 10 on Friday. 
It's the grade one Clark. It's a mile and an eighth on the main track. It's for three-year-olds and up. So you're going to get an opportunity perhaps to see some of the younger horses trying elders. For the most part, it's a group of older horses, though. It's actually an overflow field. You've got a horse on the also eligible list, a full field of 14, 15 if you include In Love, who's on the AE list looking in. You know, where do you want to start here, Jeff? Because I think the pace is going to be on the on the swift side. I think there's going to be a fair amount of horses who want to be reasonably close. And I think that kind of starts with the middle of the field with a horse like Mr. Freeze and or Bodie Express. I mean, how do you start going over a race like this? Um, I mean, with, with any race, you know, I, I always start with, you know, what, what do I think the pace is going to be? I actually, when I went through this race, I actually thought the now, there is a lot of horses I think that are going to be four, but I don't really know how fast this pace is going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's any true, true, you know, speed horses, and I don't think there's any true, like, burners. Um, you know, when I look through the PPs, honestly, a horse like Bodie Express, I think is, I think he's got one way to go. I think he's just going to send. Outside of that, I don't see a ton of, I mean, Mr. Freeze, sure, be forward. You know, a horse like Aurelius Maximus, I think he'll also be forward. But I, I don't really think that this pace is going to be too blazing. I think it, it, I don't think it's going to be you know like a twenty-five opening quarter. Sure. Um, I think it'll be probably honest, but I don't I don't think it's going to be too tough. I think it'll be fair. I think everyone everyone in this horse, whether it be a deep closer or somebody's going to be on the lead, I think it's going to be a pretty fairly run race in my opinion. Um, but like I, I think Bodie Bodie Express probably sets the pace, and then you know you got Mr. Freeze and Aurelius Maximus in that second flight, um, in my opinion. Now, Bodie Express is an interesting horse because we all know about the Preakness situation all those years ago where he ran around without a rider. And we know that he basically was the most accomplished maiden for the longest time. Then he finally broke through. He came back and he won a really impressive race at Gulfstream West in his first start against winners last year. So impressive that he was actually on the road too and he ran in the Pegasus World Cup. He hadn't won another race until he went back to Gulfstream in his most recent start, and he won by the length of the stretch, and he earned gaudy speed figures. He's three for three at Gulfstream Park West. He's never won a race anywhere else. I shouldn't say he's three for three. He's three for four. His career debut came at Gulfstream West. But point is, he runs unbelievably well there, and everywhere else, he's a bit of an enigma. What do you do with a horse like Bodie Express? That, that That's the tough thing. You know, I mean, I'm not too much into, like, the horse-for-course angles. Uh, I mean... I mean, it definitely holds true for some horses, but it, just in general for, you know, my handicapping, I'm not too much into that. But, you know, when you look at a horse like Bodie Express, you kind of have to wonder, you know, can he ship outside of Goldstream Park West? So it's definitely a question. I mean, for me, honestly, I'm not I'm not against the horse. And if I can get, you know, a decent price on the horse, I think I'm definitely going to be on my ticket. And I'm definitely going to use him, if, you know, depending on it's price dependent. But I think he's, he's set up for a very nice trip in this in this spot. I think the, the the fascinating thing about this race is if you do like a horse like Bodie Express, and we've seen he's been kind of the, I don't want to say social media darling, but he has been. You know, everyone talks about him, and we know all of his antics and all those sort of things. Inevitably, it feels like he takes more money than he probably should in some of these races. But right. in this spot on Friday, with the presence of Code of Honor and By My Standards, those two specifically, I think you can't help but get a decent price on, on all of these other runners that are going to go. Yeah, I mean— with those two, and, and just the fact, you know, it's going to be big pools, and it's it's a 14-horse field. Like, you know, not all these horses can take money, so somebody's going to, you know, be like the quote-unquote, like, forgotten horse. I mean, Bodie, like you said, Bodie Express, you know, everyone knows his name from, the, you know, Preakness incident. He's been in big races before, but, I mean, if I can get around maybe 10 to 1, 
I, I think I, I would be more than happy to, to bet that horse because I think he's going to be a lone speed in here. So I think he's very dangerous. Before we dive into some of the more, I don't want to call them fringe contenders, but sort of the, the horses that are going to make up the meat of the, the race, I think we have to talk about the two favorites in here. And we right. just alluded to them, Code of Honor and By My Standards. Code of Honor is a horse who we know what he did as a three-year-old. He was so impressive winning the Travers. He went on, ran as well as he did in the Jockey Club Gold Cup, was put up first via disqualification, ran head-in-head head with Vino Rosso, who came back and won the Breeders' Cup Classic. This year... You know, I don't know if it was because of all the things, the starts and stops because of COVID-19, or maybe he just did not progress from three to four. His form has been a little bit spotty. And yes, he ran really well in that Kelso most recently behind Complexity. Complexity came back and earned a 101 in his next start in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. The fourth place finisher came back and earned an 83 buyer. I can't help but feel like there are still questions about Code of Honor. What's his best game? Where is he from a form standpoint? Ultimately, as far as we're concerned, what kind of price is he going to offer in a field like this? Where do you land with Code of Honor? Um, I'm not. I'm probably more leaning towards, you know, playing against him. Um, I honestly, I don't really know if he wants distance, if he wants a long-term mile. I think it's very up in the air. I mean, he's run very well at long. He's run well at short. I mean, I don't really think distance is a concern, but I just don't know at a short price, if you can, you know, totally trust him. Um, so for me, I'm leaning more towards playing against, because I think he's going to be maybe two to one in here, two, one, five to two ish in that range, I would say. Um, so, I mean, at that price, I don't really have too much. Con- I mean, his speed figures are probably, you know, as a whole better than most of these horses, but at a short price, I'm just leaning towards taking a shot against. Now, the other big name in the field is By My Standards. He's going to break from post number 12 for Brett Calhoun. He ran in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and I say ran. He really didn't do a heck of a lot of running in that race, which to me was a bit of a surprise. Look, I, I didn't I didn't think he was—I kind of alluded to it. I wasn't convinced that he was necessarily good enough to run with those. I, I do love the horse. I think he's honest as the day is long, and I thought he would get a piece of the thing. So when he dropped the egg that he did— that, to me, I didn't know if I wanted to just chalk it up to the fact that, look, he was taking on far superior animals. It was his first time at Keeneland. Maybe he wasn't going to take to it. Who knows what the situation may have been. When you look at that and you see such a poor effort, granted, against much better, and you compare that to the form that he had here throughout the entirety of 2018, or excuse me, 2020, where he had just shown up and run his race time and time again, low 100 buyers for the most part, right in that 101, 102, 103 range. What do you do with him, Who another horse who's going to be a short price, coming into this in, let's say, questionable form? Uh, for me, of the two short prices, I'd much prefer um, by my standards. I'm just taking the opinion that, you know, that was just a much better field, much better horses. And honestly, if you, I mean, you alluded to it. If you kind of just draw a line through that and just chalk it up to it's the Breeders' Cup, maybe then take to the track, you know, there's a couple of excuses you can give to him. I mean, if you just take his last four races... I want to say he's like a pure standout, but he's pretty close to, you know, kind of towering over this field as far as form, class, all of that. I think he's he's going to be forward. You know, he's not going to be too far back. And I think he's in in line for another pretty good trip, if not like a perfect trip. He's the kind of horse that it just feels like if he doesn't get hung super wide on that first turn. He has enough tactical ability where he can get into the run. He's not going to be pushing the pace early on, but you could see him being in sort of that two, three lengths off of a trip, rounding the far turn. He starts to warm the engine up, and he comes and commences his bid. Uh, Look, again, I love the horse. I I don't know. I'm going to do a little bit more work before I end up. I'll write about this race on racingpicks.com for Friday's little article, but 
I, he just, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he rebounded and got back to one of those low 100 buyers and it was good enough to win. We've identified the two heavy favorites. We've talked about the likely speed horse in here in Bodie Express. Now you can start to get a little bit more creative if you're trying to make cases for some of these other runners. And the beauty of it is in a race like this, you're going to probably get odds north of 10 to 1 on many of these runners. I, I don't even know where you'd like to start in this spot. Maybe you want to start with a horse like Aurelius Maximus and maybe the horse is coming out of the Fayette at Keeneland that was run at the beginning of October because I think there's plenty of ability in there. The the horses who have come back so far, you've had some pretty solid efforts. Mr. Freeze in 97 in the Dirt Mile. The seventh place finisher was the next out winner with a 94 buyer. So the form has held up reasonably well. Do you think a horse like Aurelius Maximus can take a step forward here? Do you think Title Ready is a horse who can rally from off the pace? Maybe he's pace compromised, though, coming out of a race where he was just wildly overmatched in the Classic. I mean, what do you do overall with some of these sort of second-tier contenders? Um, I actually, I, I think Aurelius Maximus has a good shot here. Um, I was watching the, you know, the replay of the Fayette. You know, um, it was full horses across the track. They kind of all lined up, and for some reason, Aurelius Maximus got shuffled back. He lost about, you know, I, I want to say like two to three lengths, and that allowed Mr. Freeze to kind of just get a jump on him. And I, in my opinion, I think that that's where the race was won when Mr. Freeze was able to just continue. I mean, he was a little wider, granted, but, I mean, he still basically just got like a three-length jump on Aurelius Maximus. And, I mean, if it, the the margin of victory is less than less than a head, and I think that made all the distance. So for me, out of the fate, I definitely prefer Aurelius Maximus. Um, I'm not a fan of Mr. Freeze, really, so he's just not a horse that I've you know liked throughout his career, and I'm just going to continue to play against him. And Title Ready is just not my horse. You know, I was like my I, I sent my buddy the PPs for the Breeders' Cup Classic, and you know my my friend said. You know, he likes title ready, and I said that horse has no chance. <laughs> just, just to spite him, I played a double. I was, I really like Tarnawa in the turf, so I just to spite him, I played a double Tarnawa into every horse in the classic, but title ready. But title ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So you know my opinion on title ready is I'm just, I think he's a, he's a, he would be a great horse to own. You know, he's going to continue to, he's like a Tassis. You know, he's not going to win, but I think he'll just continue to cast checks. But for me, it's just I'm just playing against that horse. I mean, he's going to be a big price. If you like him, I'm not going to talk you off of him. But for me, I'm just, I'm just not, a, not a fan. And that, that's the way that I usually go about it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you don't bet a 30 to one shot or a 20 to one shot that you like. I personally think he's a nice horse. I think Churchill Downs has been a little bit of a problem for him. He's also run quite well at Keeneland in the past. So I think that was sort of, I don't want to call it an optical illusion, but that run two starts back in the Fayette, while he ran really well, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that it was at Keeneland. You run that race here at Churchill on Friday afternoon. I'm not convinced it's good enough to even really get a piece of this thing. But again, I'm not going to talk you off of a 20 to 1 shot. I'm just giving you my opinion of the horse. Outside of those runners, you really start having to, to sort of look through, I don't want to say rose-colored glasses, but you got you got to really start to kind of squint a little bit. Maybe with the exception of a horse like Coastal Defense, who is still kind of on the improve. It's taken him a little while to find his stride, and now it feels like the longer the better. It seems like he's really finding it. He's another one coming out of the Fayette as well. I guess uh, rather than single individual horses, who else in this race are you mildly intrigued with? Uh, I've always been a fan of Owendale. Okay. Um, and if you look through his PPs, he's pretty much as consistent as they come. You know he's going to run. He's going to run almost every time a 99 or a 98 buyer. Um, he's going to take back. He's going to make one run. I mean, like you alluded to earlier, this pace, could, it, it could certainly heat up. And I think he would be, you know, if I'm taking a deep close, right, he's definitely the one I would want. Um, I mean, that dirt mile, there wasn't, 
I mean, that, that race was over from the jump. So I, I'm, I'm going to just basically put a line through that. I mean, he still made up a good amount of ground, but I mean, he was never really winning that race. And I mean, if you just look through his PPs, I mean, he's just always very consistent. He's going to take back, he's going to make one run. And it's just a matter of, can he get a pace to run at? I mean, because he always, he, he's going to be wide. He always doesn't seem to find trouble, but it's just, can he get enough pace to run? I mean, if you look through his, through his past performances, he hasn't really gotten that too much. I mean, there's, you know, like the Pinnacle special two back, there was not a lot of pace. Uh, the Ali Shiba, there was no pace signed on. So, I mean, if he can get pace, he's going to come running. Yeah, and that's the thing, really, to your point with a horse like Owendale. You look at that Pimlico special and the Ali Sheba. While he ran respectably in both of those spots, that's not the running style that he wants. He wants to come from well off of and have a little bit of something to close into. And to your point, he's an honest horse. He shows up with his effort time and time again. There's nothing wrong with running second to Tom's Day Tie in this race last year by a couple lengths. If Tom's Day Tie's in this race, he's probably 6-5, to a a very clear-cut favorite. So... I can understand the logic for Owen Dale. It really boils down to what you brought up, the fact that maybe the pace doesn't quite end up turning into a barn burner up front. And if that's the case, he's probably up against it. Maybe he's settling for nothing more than a minor award. At this point, I'm not going to question anything that Brad Cox sends out, though, because his barn continues to roll along. I think it's a great race. You can go 15 different ways in a 14-horse field. When push comes to shove recognizing that you got to wait and see what the odds look like. But for a selection and for the Friday feature, again, it's race number 10 at Churchill on Friday, the grade one Clark handicap. Jeff, where are you going to go? Who's your selection in the race? Uh, as far as my official topic, I'm going to, I'm going to go with by my standards. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to draw a line through that Breeders' Cup Classic. I think he's in line for uh, a perfect trip here. And, and I'm going to try and use him. I'm going to try and use Bodie Express a little bit underneath and maybe even a little bit in the wind spot, price dependent. Um, it's pretty much those two, and then I'll use probably a hodgepodge underneath if I'm playing, you know, tries and exactus. What do you believe, looking at it right now, assuming that these are the horses that end up going to the post, what to you would represent fair value on by my standards on the win end? I think if, if I can get three to one, I think that'd be very fair. Um, I think I think I should be able to get three to one, but I would definitely take three to one or better. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, to your point, with it being such a full field and having one other horse that is going to take a considerable amount of money, I can't imagine either of these horses, and whoever ends up going off favored, whether it's Code of Honor or By My Standards, I'd be su- very, very surprised if either of them was below 2-1. to one. I could yeah. see them both being in that 2-1, to 5-2, to one, maybe even 3-1 to one of some of these other horses, you know, whether it is kind of the Aurelius Maximus, because he does feel, I feel like he's got kind of that, that look of the wise guy horse where if you're not convinced with the big names or you don't love either of them, maybe you look for a horse like that. So maybe we do get sort of that 5-2, to 3-1 to one level for both of these runners. I love by my standards. I would not be disappointed at all. I don't know if I'm going to pick him or not, but I wouldn't be disappointed at all if he were to win this race on Friday afternoon because I think for the way that he's run so consistently all year, I think he deserves a grade one. He hasn't got a grade one yet. Maybe Friday is the day for him. And who knows? From a racing standpoint, it would also be great if Code of Honor could get back to one of his best efforts and really show that, you know what? He was just a little bit off form for a bit, and Suge's got him going the right direction. I don't know if they're going to retire him after this or not, but I, I'm hopeful they would be able to bring him back for a five-year-old campaign. It's an older division that's a looking a little bit sparse right now. So we'll see what happens. Jeff O'Reilly for the Friday feature, race number 10 at Churchill Downs, the grade one Clark handicap. He's going to go with the number 12, by my standards, to take all the money and all the beating. Jeff, where can folks follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me at... Jeff, I'm uh, double underscore boy RD. 
<laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Double underscore Boy RD. Jeff, thank you so much for the time. Uh, best of luck on Friday, and hopefully we chat again soon. All right. Sounds good, Matt. Thank you. Thanks to Jeff O'Reilly for helping us out with this week's Friday feature. Again, if you want to be in Jeff's position next week, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player for Churchill's 10th on Friday, the grade one Clark handicap. Now, let's take a look at race number 10 at Churchill Downs on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day here in the United States. Um, I'm going to do this for four races, the four that I talked about at the top of the show or mentioned anyway. This race, as well as the red carpet out at Del Mar, as well as the Hollywood Turf Cup, as well as the Cumley. We'll start off, though, with the Falls City Handicap. It's a grade two race, a mile and an eighth on the main track. For the girls, the way that I'm going to go through this, um, if there is a replay that I can show that's just on YouTube and I can pull it from there, that's one thing. Uh, but for the most part, it's just going to be kind of how I deem the or how I assess sort of the chances of each one of these horses in this race uh, and, and just overall kind of thoughts and, and opinions. And if any of you have thoughts, ideas on these races, please leave them in the comment section below the video player on YouTube. Uh, those of you that are listening, you can still hear. Not going to be the end of the world. I have a couple of things written. I have my PP sort of marked up. So if you're curious, I'd encourage you to check out the YouTube channel uh, and take a look and see what we're talking about here. So um, all, all things considered, I think this is a decent group of fillies and mares. I don't think it's a spectacular group. Um, it's highlighted by Bonnie South, this field is anyway, trained by Brad Cox, 8-5 uh, to five on the morning line. Those of you who are looking, you can see that I have a couple of numbers written next to each of the horses' names. Um, that's my value line, and it's out of a 100-point total because there is only the actuality of something is going to happen 100% of the time. One of these horses is going to win this race. You break it down that way. You divide 100 by this number, subtract 1. Those are your odds, what you would deem fair value on each one of these runners. While she's 8-5 to five on the line, I made her 7-2 to two on my value line. And it's not because she's not the fastest or necessarily the most talented horse in the race. I suppose you could make the argument she is both of those. I just, her running style is really problematic for me at races that are not going to be marathons. At a mile and a quarter, a mile and a half. And even having said that, that kind of goes against what I've always talked about, where I feel like speed is always going to be advantageous. It's actually more advantageous the longer the races are, in my opinion. Um, having said that, a horse like Bonnie South feels like she'll just she'll grind you down. If it turns into a war of attrition, she's going to win, as opposed to some of the girls that, that may end up finding the distance a little bit too demanding. At a mile and an eighth, I don't know that that comes into play as much as it does at a mile and a quarter or even longer than that. And you'll also note, for those of you watching, in the upper right-hand corner, I make a couple little marks, and I, there may be a little bit of a color code or whatever the case may be. That's the Timeform U.S. Pace Projector for these races, and that's something that I do when I go through and mark up my PPs. I want to see where Timeform U.S. believes the horses will be positioned, what they think the kind of flow of the race is going to be, and kind of juxtapose that to how I view the race. And it's hard to draw any other kind of conclusion than Bonnie South is going to be rallying into a very tepid pace. And I'm going to show you, this is on YouTube on Maryland Jockey Club's channel. You can pull up the replay for the Black Eyed Susan. This is her rallying from the back in the Judmont Silks. The problem that I have with this effort, it's not that she didn't run well. It's that she had a lot go her way. There was a fast pace in here against inferior company. 
at a mile and three sixteenths. Or no, this is at a mile and an eighth too. But the point is, she still couldn't get up in time with everything kind of playing to her advantage. And I understand maybe if you want to make the argument that this was a very difficult track to close into, and the fact that Bonnie South got as close as she did, you want to give her a little bit of extra credit, that's fine. That's your prerogative. To me, at a short price, with a horse who's going to run like this on dirt, and again, it wasn't a poor effort, but at what's likely to be close to 8-5, to 7-5 to five when it's all said and done. I just don't need Bonnie South in here. She can win, but she'll win without me. Perhaps if I'm playing a multi, I would maybe use her very, very defensively. But to be honest, I'm, I'm much more inclined to just toss her out entirely. I almost wouldn't mind seeing her on turf with the way that she runs because I think she's going to be up against it more often than not on the main track with that running style. And she does still finish with a big, big pack at the end. I mean, you think about it. She got her final eighth of a mile in that mile and an eighth race in the Black Eyed Susan in what I would consider a turf time. 11.69 for her final eighth. That's a serious late kick. I'd like to see what she can do on turf where races are probably going to be run a little bit more to her suitability with the running style anyway. So if it's not Bonnie South, who is it? Well, first things first, I'm going to tell you that I don't like any of the horses drawn six outside. Six, seven, eight, nine. I don't like any of them. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I just don't think they're necessarily good enough to win in a spot like this. So if I don't want Bonnie South and I've eliminated the outside four runners, narrow it down to effectively four horses. Our super freak to me is a fascinating case because on her best, I think she is good enough or fast enough, I should say, to win this race. In all likelihood, she makes the front in here. She may actually do it rather comfortably. I don't know that I'm thrilled about the 12 times second or third from 21 lifetime starts when you compare that to only four victories. She has been taking on better company recently, and I think Cherie DeVoe has gotten the best out of this four-year-old filly. I'm also a little bit concerned, though, about the distance, and I recognize here in this run in the Shoe V up at Saratoga, it was a mile and an eighth, and it looked like she was running on again at the end. I, I don't I don't know that I really buy that and I get it they went really fast early on but her game is speed uh, the spinster is a race that I believe in hindsight you're going to look back and say the pace was a hell of a lot faster than maybe the fractions made it seem because the way the race was run our super freak to me is kind of case in point she's a horse who likes to be forwardly placed and she was entirely outrun early on Valiance was a horse who was a few lengths off of it and wide and she made her big move and went on earned a 97 in the Breeders' Cup Distaff and her next star, Ollie's Candy in 87, the fourth place finisher in 81. Our Super Freak, I'm more concerned about the distance than I am her ability and her talent level. I think she fits in here. I don't know that I love her at what's going to be, I think, probably somewhere around that 5-1 to one range. I made her 9-2 to two on my value line, so the 9-2 to two morning line odds, you know, if she were somewhere in that ballpark, obviously north of that, I, I don't know that I would really want to be too flexible and go with anything less than that on a horse who I don't think can get the distance. But if you told me she was going to go off at seven or eight to one, I'd have to think twice and say, you know what, if she's controlling speed in a race, that's not going to have a wicked pace, you know, maybe that'll enable her to get the distance, but our super freak, I think she's interesting. I'm concerned about the distance. Uh, smooth with a kick is the horse that is most intriguing to me for Chad Brown. Now on paper, she's a little bit on the slow side. She certainly needs to prove that she can run with better horses and run faster. I guess my overall feeling with the Keeneland main track over the fall, I talked about it leading into the Breeders' Cup. It felt like two-turn races, you really needed to be in a forward position to have the optimal opportunity 
to win. Smooth with a kick, she rallied from off the pace. And I know there was a, a bit of a hot pace signed on, especially for the interior fractions. But for her to move up the way that she did rounding the far turn, I would encourage you to find the replay if you can, whether it's through RTN or some other sort of streaming service. She did it more or less on her own out in the clear. Javier put in a very early bid, and she blew the doors off the field. The interesting thing is, I go back and look at it. I think she got a little bit green when she made the front. And interesting piece, because for her to still win the way that she did and as comfortably as she did, is that more an indictment on the company that she ran against? And could she potentially get burned by that in a race like this with a horse like Bonnie South, who's going to be coming from the back? I just thought she got she lost a little bit of focus. You take a look specifically at her ears, get a little bit kind of flickering around. You see Javier continues to get after her with the stick. I just, she's the one that I'm most intrigued with. She's the one that will be, air quotes, my pick in here. I made her 7-2 to two on my line compared to the 5-1 to one morning line. I... I think she might be a little bit wise guy-ish in here. Um, so maybe she does end up in that sort of three and a half, four to one range. But she was the one that, to me at least, I thought perhaps there was enough of a forward move still to come. She's going to need to move forward. There's no two ways around that. But you take a look. There were a couple of next out winners coming out of that N2X race on October the 11th. One of them came back and earned an 87 buyer. The other one came back and... Granted, ran rather slow, a 67. So if you want to question the form of the race, I'm not going to argue with you. If you want to question her overall ability, I'm not going to argue with you. She certainly needs to improve, but I think she could end up tripping out in a race like this. And again, visually, the way that she did that in that run at Keeneland was really impressive to me, rolling up the way that she did on a track that I feel like over the course of the October meet, or the fall meet, I should say, in two-turn route races, it favored horses that were forward. She rallied from off of it and won impressively. Um, a couple other horses briefly to touch on. The number two in here, uh, another broad goes out now for Steve Aspison's barn. Typically, I'd look at that and say, oh, okay, you know, she was already a relatively quick horse. Maybe she's going to move forward here. The problem is it's not like he's taking her or he's getting her from someone who doesn't know what's going on. I mean, you're getting her from Todd Pletcher's barn. I, I don't know that you're going to get a tremendous improvement uh she hasn't seen the winner's circle since april of 2019 and that came over a muddy track um another broad's not for me in this spot i made her 12 to 1 from the 10 to 1 morning line and envoutant is the other horse down on the inside for kenny mcpeak envoutant's a horse that uh if i'm being honest i've never really been thrilled with i i think she's fine she can certainly win this race i think she's going to be an underlay she's 5 to 2 on the morning line i made her 5 to 1 the Remington Park Oaks, she's 1-5. to five. She's supposed to bury that field, and she does. But when she makes the front, it takes her an exceptionally long time to change leads. And that, to me, that's always a red flag, especially with a horse who has seemingly plateaued from a speed figure standpoint in each of her past four starts. Now, maybe a high 80, low 90 is going to be fast enough to win this thing, but at what I believe her price is likely to be, I don't know that I need to find out. She could also find herself in a bit of a precarious position just with the way the trip could work out. Because if you think our super freak clears off, if, unless Envoutant is hustled out of there by BJ Hernandez, she could very easily wind up in sort of that pocket position, which is great. But you're just going to need to be able to extricate yourself from there. And if you can't, then obviously you run the risk 
of, of having a bit of a, a boxed-in situation rounding that far turn. So Envoutant from the inside, she can win. I don't know that I want her at anything close to that morning line. I made her 5-1. to one. Uh, the, the place that I'm leaning, the place that I'm leaning is with Chad Brown in here. I think this filly has uh, an opportunity anyway to take a step forward. That's the number four, smooth with a kick. I'll play her at 7-2 to two or better. Who do you like in the Falls City Handicap at Churchill Downs on Thanksgiving? Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube. Main event out at Del Mar on Thanksgiving is the sixth race, the red carpet handicap, mile and three-eighths on the turf. These races this time of year at Del Mar specifically, I'm always looking at it thinking that the East Coast horses are the ones that I'm going to gravitate toward. But you do oftentimes find that it feels like at this time of year, perhaps the it's the B or C string of the East Coast horses going out. If the A string goes out, they mean business. The B or C string, are they just trying to get a little bit of black type, get that graded stakes victory maybe on the cheap or a graded stakes placing? They can then use that as far as value for the broodmare is concerned. I don't know, but the, the East Coast contingent in this race, I think they make sense, but I don't think they're overwhelming. Let's start off with Chad Brown, because you have to start with Chad Brown at any kind of a graded stakes turf race. Um, I'm going to go with Orglandas. I don't know if that's correct or not, the pronunciation. The number four horse. She's 5-2 to two on the morning line. Her U.S. debut came off of a year-plus layoff at Monmouth Park. So give her the benefit of the doubt. She needed a race, shake the rust off. I get it. They then run her at Belmont Park, and she wins going away. Got a little bit goofy with the lead changes down the lane, but finished really well. Maybe the added ground is only going to be to her benefit. You take a look and see the way that they had campaigned her when she was over in France. Mile and three-eighths, she was just getting warmed up. So maybe this is what she's wanted all along, and maybe she's just going to prove better than the West Coast horses and the other East Coast shipper. Um, I'm not convinced of that. And to me, she's that kind of prime example of she doesn't tower over this field on figs. She's going to get bet because she's Chad Brown. And Irad Ortiz is coming out. I, I, Regardless of what you think her chances of winning are, it seems highly unlikely that they are actually going to represent what you're going to get come post time, in my opinion. I mean, if you think she's a 50-50 shot to win this race, A, I think you're wildly overestimating the probability of some of these horses. But B, you know... You're, that's the only way you're going to get any kind of value because she's going to be in that five to two, two to one range, and I just I don't think that's I don't think that's fair or appropriate or accurate for that matter. So I'm against her. Of the East Coast horses coming west, I'm more inclined to look at a horse like Blame Debbie, who I think Graham Motion's done a good job with her. I think she's just in raging form right now. She's rattled off three consecutive first place finishes. She was DQ'd from that Kentucky Downs race. Uh, but she just, she makes a lot of sense, but again, she's not overly fast on figs, and I'll go back to the Dowager, this was her most recent run, I'm going to see Always Shopping on the outside of Blame Debbie, there are these first, first two horses, this is what the entire race was, look at the fractions in the upper right hand corner, 53 and 3, 20 and 3 for 3 quarters. No wonder it was a merry-go-round. You're going to see Blame Debbie on the inside pop to her left lead just about the 16th pole, and that's how she finishes. Look, she digs in gamely. It's a good effort, don't get me wrong. But I don't know that I need 5 to 2 on a horse like this when I don't know that she's got a massive edge 
on the West Coast horses. And having said that, I don't think the West Coast horses are fantastic. I think you just need to be realistic about what you're dealing with here. And if you just simply put believe that the East Coast horses, even though the figs look very, very similar, are are leaps and bounds better, then maybe you're going to approach it and say two to one and five to two is fair value. To me, I wouldn't take anything less than five to one on either of them. Now, if that's where I stand with those horses, what do I think of the, the West Coast runners? I think a lot of people are going to look at the number two horse in here and say she is the one that you want on the West Coast. Never be enough. Four to one on the morning line. Rock solid form. She's won four of her last five. Her only defeat came at Del Mar going a mile and three-eighths. As you can see, I've, I've circled these things. Now, you can look at this a couple of ways. You can say that the distance is the thing that got her beaten. the non-winners of one other than four starts back. You can look at it and say she moved into the teeth of the pace according to time form US. Perhaps it was a premature move with a better time move. Maybe she gets the job done. We're going to go back and take a look at the Catherine Crosby from Halloween. And you're going to see this is early on in the race. She's, da- she's back here in these pink checker silks. And she's going to get very, very keen, very eager in between horses. Riders got a handful trying to get her to just relax a little bit here. And you can see they're going a legitimate clip, 22 and change. going to be 46 and a piece for the half mile. Um, and you can see the riders almost standing up right there, trying to get her to rat, just, just trying to get her to rate, just trying to get her to come to hand a little bit. Meanwhile, the number eight in here is another horse who's going to be running in this spot. Now, if you think the distance is going to be the thing that makes the difference for Colonial Creed or maybe getting Flavian Pratt back, that's fine. But coming out of this race, I don't know how I can't figure out a scenario where I would take the eight over the two in their next start. The eight being the horse that we're talking about here, never be enough. Uh, excuse me, the, the eight is uh, Colonial Creed. The horse rallying on the outside, the two is again the two on Thursday and never be enough. To me, there's no two ways around it that never be enough ran a better race than Colonial Creed did. You see Colonial Creed pop to the left lead at the very end of that run. The added ground, I don't know, works to the advantage of Colonial Creed. To me, I think you're just looking at it saying, oh, Pratt's back. Maybe that'll make the difference. I don't think she's fast enough to win this race. I would only be using her underneath. Never be enough, on the other hand, I think she is fast enough to win. The question is, or you need to decide... What got her beat at Del Mar back at the end of July? Was it the distance or was it a bit of a premature move? And with a better time move, does she prevail there? Is she coming into this on a five-race winning streak? The whole nine. I I happen to think that the distance is a little bit of a, a little bit of a problem. I made her ten to one. Perhaps that's a little bit unkind, but given the East Coast horses coming in and they deserve to get some some attention, and some of the other horses that are entered here. I, I had to chop it up somewhere. I made her 10 to 1. Long-winded way of saying, let's get to the horse that I like. Because there are other horses in here that make some sense. And, you know, again, I could go through each one of them, but it's going to be you know, impossibly long. Uh, I'm going to the outside. Never the best thing to do when you're dealing with a three-turn race, but it is what it is. I like the number 10 quick for John Sadler and Umberto Rispoli. Uh, the most recent run in that N2X event Yes, there was a hot pace signed on that day. Yes, she rallied from last, but the winner actually won in wire-to-wire fashion. Uh, the speed figure, I think, is indicative of a horse who is fully capable of winning this race. The John C. Maybe, don't hold that run against her. The CTT and TOC from three back. She got run down at the very end by Maxim Rate, who was a nice filly in her own right. It was at a mile and three-eighths. 
I think she ran well that day, despite the fact that, in my opinion, she's a horse who does better when she has something to run at, as opposed to being up and part of the pace throughout. I think they're going to take her back a little bit, and I think that's going to be sort of the running style that we get. I think she comes from a couple lengths off of it, and perhaps that's the thing that gets the, the job done. I don't think the distance is a problem for her. She ran at longer distances when she was based over in Europe. And if you're just telling me, and again, I made her 5-1 to one as well, of the three horses, the three, let's call them main horses outside of Never Be Enough, the two East Coast horses and Quick, I don't see a giant difference between the three of them, and I would be willing to bet a lot of money that the two East Coast horses are going to take more money than Quick will in this spot. I made Quick 5-1, to one. she's 6-1 to one in the morning line. I think we probably get the, that price. I think she lands right in that 5 or 6-1 to one range. Meanwhile, the East Coast Phillies, I think they end up in that sort of low single-digit range when it's all said and done. Uh, the number 10 Quick for me in the red carpet handicap out at Del Mar on Thanksgiving, a mile and 3 eighths. The pace doesn't look like it's going to be anything that's too wicked, and perhaps that's going to compromise the chances of some of these horses. But uh, I think it's a really interesting race. You can make a, a case for a number of horses, Heck, even a California kook, why not? Coming out of a race that Harvey's Little Goyle, if you want to say she's sort of the horse to flatter the form because she ran as well as she did in the Philly and Mare Turf, that's, that's your call. Let me know what you think of the race. Is it not as wide open as I think it is? Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube. Hollywood Turf Cup on Friday afternoon, race seven out at Del Mar, their main event, mile and a half on the grass. It's a race that it feels to me anyway like you're dealing with the... The best of the best on the West Coast, Sands United. And one horse who I, I believe many people would say is sort of exposed on the East Coast as part of that group of horses who is good but not great. And then kind of a wild card in a second-time North American runner. Then you also have a fresh face in Southern California coming from Canada. So you get you get a number of different things. Really, the, the turf racing out of Del Mar this week is really fantastic. You can do so much with it. You've got just a, a little bit of everything, and I think you're probably going to get pretty square numbers on, on many of these runners. Um, I think when push comes to shove, you need to decide what you think of the West Coast contingent. And when I call them the West Coast contingent, I'm thinking of a horse like this, Oscar Dominguez. Uh, I'm very clearly thinking of Red King, who, you know, good on the connections for trying the Breeders' Cup. You deserve to take a shot. Find out what you've got. His run in the Del Mar handicap, the ride was unreal from Umberto Rispoli. And he's been in raging form prior to the, the dud at Keeneland. So if he can get back to that, yeah, he, he absolutely can win this race. Just the question then becomes, at what price are you willing to take him? Now, if, if some of the new faces take money and he floats up into that 9-2 to two or 4-1 to one range, I'm sure some people are going to look at that and say, he's proven at the track, he's in good form, he goes out for top flight connections, let's roll with it. I just think this is a very difficult position if the new shooters are what I think they could be. Now, if it's not a horse like Red King, maybe it's one of the new shooters and say the word. If I'm being honest, I didn't love the Northern Dancer. Uh, it just kind of looked like Somebody had to win, and I don't want to take anything away from him and say that he ran poorly, but, you know, he ran fine, and and it was good enough to get a grade one against what I believe to be slightly subpar company. I think he takes on better horses now, but the transition 
over to D'Amato's barn. Flavian Pratt takes the mount. You know, this is one of those horses who, when I look at the page, I go, I, there's really nothing I love. But I've seen these horses time and time again run much better than I anticipate them to run. So I wouldn't be stunned if he shows up with a big effort down there. First start in Southern California, it ends up getting all the money. I don't know that I need a short price on him. You can see I made him 6-1. to one. Um, Even at 6, I'd probably... It would depend on what the rest of the board looked like before I went rushing to make a bet on, say, the word, at odds of 6-1. to one. The horse I think I'm probably just going to default to is Arklow. If I thought he had a puncher's chance, not a likely winner, but if I thought he had a puncher's chance around 9 or 10-1, to one, like I did in the Breeders' Cup, last month or earlier this month I guess how can I not look back to him at yes a fraction of the price but I don't think he's going to be I'll be very surprised if he goes off at two to one or something of that nature uh, maybe he will but with the presence of some of these other names and faces one horse who we still haven't gotten to yet I can't help but think he's in that four to one range and if he's at four to one or better you know, beaten three and three quarters by arguably the best in some of the best in the world. Not all, obviously. But the Tarnawas, the Magicals, the Channel Markers, uh, Channel Makers, excuse me. You know, who's to say that a replica of that race wins the Hollywood Turf Cup? Heck, a replica of his Kentucky Turf Cup probably wins this race on Friday. All boils down to price. What kind of number are we going to get on this horse? I'm probably going to pick him, but I would strongly advise anyone making a wager, don't take anything too short in this race because it does feel like it can go a number of different ways. And you do have some weird sort of unknowns. A horse like Acclimate, who we haven't seen in more than a calendar year, he's going to make his first start off of almost a 13-month layoff for Phil D'Amato. D'Amato's got, I think, four in here. This horse is one-way speed. His game is speed. I know he's run well from off of it in the past. I can't imagine a scenario where he is not keyed up, fresh, ready to go, and they try to use it to their advantage. At the very least, I think he ensures that there's going to be a, an honest pace. At the best, if you are mildly intrigued, I think it's too much of an ask. I did a quick run of the numbers. The motto off year plus layoffs is like one for 23. But if, if you believe his his races before he was sidelined, th those are probably close to good enough to win this thing. And you're going to be looking at a giant number with a horse who we could very easily be looking back at the end of the race saying, how did this horse who has plenty of figures on his page good enough to be competitive, if not outright win, how did we let him go off at 30-1 to 1 when we knew he was going to be the controlling speed? I don't like him, but he's another added wrinkle to the whole thing. The biggest wrinkle is this horse, Lucario. Lucario's run in the Turf Classic, I looked at it initially when it happened, and I said, this is standard. We've seen it time and time again, you know, for the longest time. And I, I think it still probably holds true, but, you know, you look at the German and the Italian form from Europe, and it's not, it's not what we're... You know, it's not English or, or Irish, and it's certainly not French. French form, for the most part, is the best form in Europe, in my opinion. So you always take these German or, or Italian imports with a, with a grain of salt.
but he ran really well, I thought, in the Turf Classic. His first start over here, it was under Andreas Voller's name. Obviously, now Graham Motion's got the horse. When Channel Mar- Channelmaker comes back and he runs the 108 in the Breeders' Cup, and Sadler's Joy in the sixth-place finisher come back and run 98 and 97 buyers this past weekend, the 105 from Lucario looks pretty good. And that's not even considering the fact that he could potentially move forward off that number. The 105, if he runs that, I think he is really difficult to deal with. If he takes a step forward, I don't know that anybody's got the firepower to run with him. Arklow's best, I think, is probably around a 104. Lucario probably just needs to replicate that to be right there with him. If he takes a step forward, I think they're all running for second. Now, do you get the European bounce that we've seen in the past? I have no idea. Second time Lasix, I don't think is nearly as potent as first time Lasix is. Um, But the ship to the West Coast, theoretically taking on softer company, maybe that's all you need. I made him four to one. He's the one in the wagering that I think could be the, he's sort of the, the, the crux of the whole thing. Because I could see people going crazy for him and making him your two to one favorite. Or I could see him, being sort of a tepid second or third choice around five to one. And if that's the case, then I think you're looking at significant value there. There are other interesting runners in this race. You know, I I do like Proud Pedro. I just didn't, I couldn't find a giant reason why he didn't finish any better than he did in the John Henry most recently. And when I say that, I I know that it was a merry-go-round. There was no pace signed on. What I'm saying is I thought he should have kicked as well, if not better, than a horse like another mystery, given the trip. Proud Pedro scraped paint the entire way. He did finish really well, and that's his game. He finishes strong. But the water is getting deeper. You add in the Europe, the, uh, the East Coast shippers. You add in the horse from Canada. I just You, you bring Red King back into the fold. I just I, I like him. You know, I made him 12 to 1. I could see him getting a piece of this thing. I, I'm not totally convinced that he can win it. Uh, another horse who, in another lifetime, I would have loved. I mean, look, I love the horse anyway. I have no idea if Marquis Water can run. A, I don't know if he's going to run in this spot. He's cross-centered on Saturday's opener at Del Mar. But B, I, I, I don't know if there's anything left in the tank. He's six years old. He made his first start for Peter Erton in the most recent run. Didn't really do any running. Again, probably just shaking the rust off. That was his first start in over a calendar year. When he was good, he could be competitive in a race like this. It's just been so long, and I don't know what we're going to get from him here. It, it's just kind of, he's, he's a hard one for me to sit here and make a serious case for. I'd be thrilled if he ran well. I, I just, I don't know that it's going to, I don't know that it's going to work. And then obviously I brought up another mystery who kicked, I think, and finished better than Proud Pedro did. He picked kicked and finished better than Oscar Dominguez did. Oscar Dominguez is going to take a little bit of money because he's run well in this race before, and a rad sticks around for him. But another mystery is a horse who I don't love. I, I think he's best used underneath, but if you like if you like that John Henry Turf Cup, which I guess I'm probably just fading as a whole, then maybe he's one that you could you know sort of draw up a case for with the presence of Mike Smith aboard. I think it's another really great betting race, and I think it's going to be a fun... I don't think you've got superstars in here. I mean, maybe you do with Lucario. But everybody else, their their best is really solid. Grade 2, fringe grade 1. And I mean fringe grade 1 at the best with a horse like Arklow or a Red King. More realistically, they're grade 2 animals. Same with Say the Word. 
Lucario, I suppose, could be the one that you could make a case as a legit grade one threat going forward into next year. But I think it's a great race. You can make a case for so many of the horses, if not all of them. Um, I'm going to probably lean toward Arklow, though. And if we can get somewhere in that four to one range, I'm willing to play him in the Hollywood Turf Cup. Let me know your thoughts. Let's wrap up episode 42 with the last race we'll take a look at. Race eight on Friday at the Big A is the grade three comely a mile and an eighth on the main track for three-year-old fillies this is a it's an interesting group i'm not going to spend a ton of time on the race just because i i don't know that there's a ton to discuss um miss marissa i think is probably going to be the horse that ends up being the most disrespected at the window given her accomplishments and given how fast she's run um she deserves to be among the favorites and I think there's a real scenario where she goes off as the fourth choice, which if, if that ends up happening, I made her six to one. Um, if she ends up in that six, seven to one range, I, I think she's a very fair and reasonable play. She's proven multiple times at the mile and an eighth distance. She's beaten good horses. Um, I just, I think Miss Marissa could be the, the beneficiary of some horses who may be a little bit overhyped. Let's just put it that way despite the fact that she probably had the run of the race in the grand scheme of things in that Black-Eyed Susan, as I mentioned earlier with Bonnie South, you know, the track was probably a little bit kinder to speed. And yes, you could go a little bit faster and still have something left in the tank. Bonnie South had to run against the, the, the grain. Still, Miss Marissa ran a winning race. Don't take anything away from her. She was 10 to 1 that day. I just, all I'm saying is I wouldn't be stunned if she slips through the cracks and she delivers another big effort, despite the fact that she's over to at Aqueduct Lifetime. Outside of her, the two horses who I think are the, they're not hype horses, but I mean, it's a rematch of that N1X from Belmont Park on September 27th. The number five, Thankful. The number six, Mrs. Danvers. I have never been a fan of Mrs. Danvers. I think she is much more sizzled than steak. She did break through the N1X rank most recently, first time with blinkers on. Maybe that's what she needed all along. Maybe she's going to prove to be the standard Chugma horse that gets better with age. I liked Thankful when she broke her maiden two starts back on the stretch out in distance, uh, the, the proper stretch out to the two-turn mile and an eighth. She looked really good that day. And then she came back and showed a little bit of a new dimension where she was up pushing the pace throughout, going a one-turn mile, went off, got the job done by a head over Mrs. Danvers. So the, I think you need to decide what you're going to do with that N1X race from Belmont in September. Because the form of it's actually held up quite well. Mrs. Danvers, again, stating what you're seeing right now on your screen if you're watching along, came back, one next out, 88 buyer, paired him up. Third place finisher, nowhere. 47 in her next start, but the sixth place finisher earned a 73, which kind of jives with the numbers. If you believe that race, then those Phillies have every right to be involved with this thing. But I think they're going to carry a lot of expectation and a lot of a lot of weight from a gambling standpoint that I don't know that they actually deserve. So they can either of them can win, but I don't know that they're going to. I think they're going to be overbet is the easiest way to put it. I don't think that the amount of money bet on them is going to be representative of their actual chances of winning this race. I've made them both six to one. I think they both go off well below six to one. The wild card in the race is this filly right here, the number eight, Gale, for Jonathan Thomas. Now, I don't know if I'm going to pick her when I do my little write-up for racingpicks.com. 
it, it, in all honesty, it's probably her or Miss Marissa. But Gail is one of those horses that if you are a tape watcher, she's the kind of horse that gets you a little bit excited because she has run fast. She still doesn't really seem like she knows what she's doing. So maybe you get improvement. Now on the flip side, this is the this is an acid test, not the acid test, because this isn't a you know a, a wild group of, of fillies. This is a, a decent group. You don't have any superstars in here. Maybe with the exception of Gail. We'll find out. She goes out for a trustworthy barn. You know that they place horses where they believe they belong. She attracts Jose. Ortiz, positive thing there. That most recent run, the other thing that gives a little cause for pause is that it was an off-the-turf one-turn mile. Now I'm going to show you that race rounding the far turn, turning for home. She's already out on the front. She went right to the front. She was under a stranglehold down the backside. She set pretty, pretty reasonable fractions. I mean, you know, she wasn't walking out there. And you're going to see her just draw off very, very impressively. She's going to swap leads. At about the eighth pole, she'll go to her left lead, and just before the wire, she's going to pop back to her right lead. To me, that's a sign of inexperience as opposed to her being an ouchy sort. You'll also see Sheldon Russell here momentarily drop the stick. Not that it made a difference. She is the kind of horse that could be fool's gold, or you could be looking at a horse that is going to be a force to be reckoned with as a newly turned four-year-old in just a couple months' time. The only thing I would say is let the wagering and the odds be your guide here. I've made her four to one. I think four to one or better is worth taking a shot on the possibility that you're dealing with a horse who could be the goods. Anything less than that, you're getting into that danger zone of saying, I'm betting on, you're betting more on hype and hope anyway. Maybe hype's not the right word. You're betting more on hope of what she could be than what she actually is. Because what she actually is, is on par right now from a number standpoint with the Mrs. Danvers, with the thankfuls of the world. Do any of them deserve to be overwhelming favorites? No, not based on the body of work, not what they've done. But if if there's one horse in this race who I think can step up and potentially be a force as a four-year-old, it's this Philly Gale. Now, that doesn't change the way you should approach this race on Friday. I've made her 4-1. to one. Some of you may say she's going two turns on dirt for the first time. She's taking on better horses. X, Y, and Z. Shipping in from the Mid-Atlantic. She should be twice that price. 8-1. to one. That's fine. That, that's the beauty of a value line. It's all, it's all whatever your beliefs are and whatever the way you look at the race. However it shakes out, that's what you would sign with the odds. I think 4-1 to one is fair. Anything more than that is just gravy. I Really, it boils down to I'm going to try to beat Mrs. Danvers and Thankful. While I respect them, I think they're okay. And again, I've made it clear I've never been a huge Mrs. Danvers fan. But she is, she's a good horse. If either of them win, I'll lose. I think the one, if you're looking at it from a value standpoint, that could sneak through is Miss Marissa down on the inside because I don't think she's going to get the respect she deserves based on what she's accomplished and how fast she's run. But I'm probably going to end up with Gale 
in the grade three comely on Friday afternoon at Aqueduct, the mile and an eighth on the main track. Let me know your thoughts about this race, the three prior races I discussed, and the Friday feature, the grade one Clark handicap. That again, thank you to Jeff O'Reilly for helping us go through that one a little bit. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, as always, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, if you are interested in listening more on YouTube and all your other podcast areas that you listen to things, you can find this episode along with the 41 prior. All you need to do is subscribe. Give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, write a little review. Greatly appreciate it. It goes a long way. If you're over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. Uh, racingpicks.com if you're looking for analysis throughout the week from myself uh, on Saturday this week I will be blogging throughout the entirety of the Del Mar card uh, you're going to have three graded stakes races including the grade one Hollywood Derby uh, really looking forward to that you can find that on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt on Twitter at racingpicks and on racingpicks.com as well uh, and if you want to be involved in the Friday feature if you want to be on next Monday's show and be in Jeff O'Reilly's position, you need to leave your selection for the Clark Handicap beneath the video player on YouTube. If you are correct, I will contact you and we will figure it out. We'll get ready to go. Um, until next week, enjoy the holiday. Be safe. Make smart decisions. Good luck with all your gambling situations, whatever you're playing. Don't forget there's a big carryover in the Stronic 5 on Friday. I believe it's just over $90,000. Uh, I'm sure PTF and JK will have some sort of a preview of that Stronic 5 sequence. Be on the lookout for that. Enjoy the holiday. Until next time, good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 42 of the Matt Bernier Show. <laughs>